We're in Luke chapter 9. I know we looked at the resurrection last week because you should on Easter Sunday. But you have to remember at this point in time, the disciples have no idea that Jesus is going to die and be raised the third day. He hasn't told them yet. And we're going to see that even after he tells them, they don't listen. Because it's not what they want the kingdom to be. They want Jesus to come in and overthrow Rome and reign on David's throne. And he will when he comes back. But the kingdom was ushered in in phases. And we're in the church age right now. And most of the kingdom is the spiritual aspect of the kingdom. Which, by the way, is the most important part of the kingdom. But because we're all about the here and now, we focus on the physical aspects of kingdom life. It's both. Certainly it's both. But what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Don't worry about what you wear. Don't worry about what you eat. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and the rest of these things will be added unto you. So Jesus is in his final Galilean campaign where he's going to go around Galilee. That's the the area around the Sea of Galilee, northern Israel, before he heads south to go to Jerusalem. Remember we skipped ahead a couple weeks and looked at his triumphal entry. I hope that didn't confuse you. Historically, that hasn't happened yet. But it was Palm Sunday, so we looked at that passage. So, his ministry has mostly been in the north. He's going to move south. This is his last campaign in the north. And he's going to send out his disciples by twos. The twelve. So he's going to send out six teams of of two. And he gives them authority, it says in Luke 9, 1. Power and authority over the demons and to heal diseases. Wow, who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus. Jesus is the one who's been casting out demons in healing. So he gives them a measure of his power to do the things that he is able to do to authenticate their message. And it says he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. The healing, again, was to authenticate the message. Now, let me just say as an aside here, uh, Jennifer and I spent some time in a church that was called a Signs and Wonders Movement Church. And they were teaching us that when we go out to evangelize, God will use signs and wonders to authenticate the message. Except I could never pull off these things. Uh, So they said different signs and wonders. Like God will give you a word. Um, Maybe if you lay hands on people and pray, they'll get healed, which still, still happens today. We've covered that. Continue to pray for people's physical healing. Uh, But God in his providence decides when and where and if 
he's going to heal physically. And I've certainly seen some pretty miraculous things happen. It's just that when I pray over people for healing, they don't like immediately get up and walk after being paralyzed their whole life. But that's what was happening when the disciples went out. Jesus gave them that kind of power to authenticate this brand new message that was going out. It was such a paradigm shift, such a different kind of message that it would have to be accompanied with these miracles in order for anyone to take them seriously. And so he gives them the power and authority to cast out demons and to heal diseases in the same way that Jesus was able to do. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. How many of you use a study Bible as your normal Bible? Okay, so it tells you the parallel passages in Mark and Matthew. And in your study time, you should flip over and read Mark and Matthew. Don't do it now. But I'll tell you what you're going to find is that Mark's list of the things they're supposed to take and Matthew's list is somewhat different than Luke's. And that bothers people. They think, my Bible is contradicting itself. That's not what's going on here. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the voice of Jesus versus the actual words of Jesus. I used some Latin terms, ipsissima vox versus ipsissima verba. It just means the same words as his actual voice or the same words that capture the meaning. Now, there were six groups of two, so maybe he gave slightly different instructions to each group, or maybe what we have is a composite of the meaning. And I think that's what we have. The whole point is, when you look at the three lists in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is to pack light. Pack light. He was training his disciples to live by faith. Because he knew eventually he'd be sending them out after he ascends. And they wouldn't have him right there with them physically. But he said, lo, I will be with you, right? Even to the end of the age. So he's there, but he's training his disciples to do what they're going to be doing eventually. They just don't know it. It's kind of like Karate Kid, right? He's telling them, wax on, wax off, and, and, and they don't know why. But he knows why. He's getting them ready. In fact, if he told them everything that was going to happen and everything they would go through as apostles, you think they'd still follow? <laughs> I am so glad when I have time to think deeply about the future that God does not reveal all of my future to me. I would be paralyzed with fear. When I don't have time to think, I get anxious about my future. I need to know the plan. I need to know exactly how it's going to happen, what day it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. 
you know. I've got the five-year plan, the 10-year plan, the 15-year plan. And it's okay to plan, but you hold on to your plans loosely. God's promises you can hang on to tightly. You can take those to the bank. So these young men, they're excited. They've been given this authority to cast out demons and heal. That must have been a rush. Kind of went to their heads, too. We know, we know they were arrogant. We know they were cocky. We know the night of the Last Supper, they were arguing over who was the best, who was going to get to sit at Jesus' left and right when he set up his kingdom. By no means were perfect men at all. God works miracles through imperfect vessels. Amen? That's you and me. And imperfect if you're waiting around for the perfect people to do all the work in the church, nothing's going to get done. You've been given gifts by God and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can go and evangelize and make disciples. You, you can do it. You, you can't do it. But in Christ, you can do it. Jesus wouldn't command you to do anything and then not give you the help to be successful. There's plenty you and I try to do in our own strength that we really shouldn't be doing and we fail miserably, like setting up our own kingdoms. Get to that later, more of that later. I think the other reason they were supposed to pack light, commentators agree that at this time it was common for itinerant preachers to go around town to town preaching and of course they wanted what? They wanted money. So, this was to separate Jesus' disciples from other itinerant preachers. No money, no money bag. Now, don't read this and think that the disciples never needed money. That we're all supposed to be like monks. You know, a, a complete vow of poverty. Look, if God's calling you to do that, you should answer his call. The twelve had money. They had a treasurer. Now, it was Judas, and he was stealing the money, but they had a treasurer. They had people give to their ministry. They had people support their ministry, Mary and Martha and other friends. The Bible says, don't muzzle the ox when he treads the grain, Right? You need to be giving faithfully to the local church and to other ministries, missionaries, compassion ministries. I think some people read this and they say, well, see, we don't, we don't need money to do God's work. We don't need all of this. As we sit here in our comfortable seats and want the air conditioning to work when we get hot. Right? It all costs money. It's not the only reason you should be giving to your local church. The main reason is you're a cheerful giver and you're so thankful what God has done for you in Christ Jesus that you, you give. And your expectation should be that the leaders of the church here are using those monies for kingdom purposes. And we have things put in place to make sure that accountability is, is happening. Every once in a while we splurge 
and we have new projectors. Thank you for your faithful giving. Do we need the new projectors? No. Could the new projectors have been the money spent on something else more kingdomly? I suppose. But if we're going to play that game pretty soon, there's no building and there's no chairs. And pretty soon nobody's coming to church to hear the word of God. So it's a balancing act. These are really nice. I hope they last a long time. Hope we don't have to change them out. I'm told they're the same projectors they use at the hitching post. So if you notice that the kids in the club of the month looked especially sharp, it's because they're cute kids. And we now have high-def projectors. He also tells them that whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. So again, don't go house to house to house like the itinerant preachers. You need to be above reproach. And as for those who do not receive you as you go out from the city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. This was common practice of the day. It it was a sign of... um, uh, shame, that you were shaming someone. Shake the dust off your feet. Some people still use this figure of speech today. I I don't hear it that often anymore. Um, But it has survived thousands of years here to our modern culture. We have other things we do to let people know that we're kind of done with them. Like you unfriend them on your Facebook page. Shake the dust off your sandals. I made mention first service that the point of this is that not everyone's going to receive the message. And you see here that the Disciples were not responsible to make everybody believe the message. You are not responsible to make people believe. You and I are responsible for being faithful to share the message. That takes a lot of burden off your shoulders and fear that I have to say it just right and I need to go to one more evangelism class. And you know, maybe when I'm like Pastor Brent or Nathan or Pastor Andy, then I can evangelize. Because then no matter what question they throw at me, I got news for you. I get questions thrown at me that I'm like, Phew. yeah, it's a tough one. Let's go search the scriptures together for the answer. It's also difficult to know when you're supposed to shake the dust off your sandals. Jesus used another phrase, don't cast pearls before swine. It's like, wow, Jesus said that? That's pretty harsh. Well, the the point is that a pig, and we're not saying people are pigs, it's an analogy, have no idea the worth of a pearl. They don't know what to do with it. 
And so sometimes you know when you're witnessing to someone, especially online, you get those people that just are cynical. And no matter what you say, they're not listening. They're not asking questions. They're not open to hearing. There's no humility. There's no teachability. At some point, you, you don't keep casting the pearl before swine. It's harder when the swine, quote-unquote, is a family member. How many times do you have to share the gospel with a, a sibling or a, a parent or a child or a nephew or an uncle? Everybody has that uncle who knows everything. And the rest of the family who are Christians are all stupid and they need their religion. I don't think we ever stop sharing, but we get wise and tactful about when, when to share. And especially with extended family, if they know where you stand and you show them love and you continue to love them and invite them to family functions and trust and pray that eventually trying to live their life apart from God will lead to heartache and disaster. That they'll know who they can go to. And they know where you stand. And they know that you'll humbly attempt to answer their questions. And you'll weep with them. So, in some cases, when maybe it's not someone you know so well, it's proper to shake the dust off your sandals. And that would be proper when you're going into a city that you know you're going to be leaving. All right, we tried. These people rejected. They mocked. Shake the dust off your sandals. Move on. Uh, but when it's people that you know, when it's coworkers, when it's family members, I don't think you ever say, I'm done. There's days where you say, I'm done. And then the Lord will help you. Say, you know what? If I get another opportunity. And you never give up on someone because it's not for us to decide who will eventually believe and who won't. That is not your prerogative. That is God and God's prerogative alone. Only he knows the heart. Only he knows the future. So it says, departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Remember I've been telling you the last few weeks that if you want to understand what the Bible means, first you have to get into the sandals of the original hearers and how easy it is for you to take your understanding and put it on the text. When you read that they went and preached the gospel... What do you immediately assume? Think about it. What is the gospel to you? Well, Jesus died on the cross for sinners and he rose on the third day. They don't even know that's going to happen. How can Luke say they went and preached the gospel? What gospel 
what good news were they preaching? I almost flew right past this and just overlooked. Yeah, of course, they went out and preached the gospel. What else are they going to preach? That's what we preach, the gospel. I said, whoa, whoa, time out. What does the gospel mean when I go and preach it? And the most important part of the gospel, I would tell people, that Paul would tell people in 1 Corinthians 15, things of first importance, he says, that Christ died according to the Scriptures and Christ was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he gives that whole list of people who eyewitnessed the resurrected Christ. If they went out and preached the gospel, what were they preaching? And then my study and preparation this week really began. So I, I put up Luke 9 two, so you could see the two passages side by side. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And they went out preaching the gospel and healing. Preaching the gospel is parallel to proclaiming the kingdom of God, just as healing and perform healing are in parallel. So, preaching the gospel must include proclaiming the kingdom of God. And here's the rub this morning. We don't think about kingdoms. As Christians we do, but as Americans we don't. We think about the democracy we live in, the representative republic. Our kings are elected officials, and when we don't like them, we vote them out of office. We vote them into office, and then the very next day complain about the way that they're conducting business. That's not what I told you to go do. You were supposed to repeal blah, blah, blah. That's why we put you in. Well, it was more difficult than we thought it was going to be. So, a hundred days in, we're grumbling. Next chance we get, these jokers are out. And that's normal for all of us. And we don't have a problem with it. And they're out preaching the kingdom. An unelected official God, the king, makes the rules. And you don't get to complain. Oh, I'm sure they complained in their day about their king. We're supposed to proclaim the kingdom to a culture that has no concept of kingdom. And so that's part of the message and why it takes more time when you evangelize and make disciples. You have to help people understand what the kingdom is. So I'll do a little bit of that this morning. Now, of course, Luke knew what the full gospel was when he was writing. Because he, he wrote well after the death and resurrection of Christ. Luke also wrote Acts. He knows the gospel. He was a close acquaintance of Paul. He knows the gospel. Paul, who says in Romans if you profess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we say, there's the gospel. 
that apparently there's more to the gospel than we often think. Which is why I believe we have so many people in America who, when they're surveyed, would say, I'm a Christian. You believe Jesus died on the cross for sins and was raised on the third day? Yes. But if the survey keeps asking them questions about his lordship, about him being king, suddenly people don't answer the survey the way a Christian would. And certainly, most of our country's not living the Christian life as portrayed in the Bible. It's more like we're all setting up our own little kingdoms and then when our kingdom's not going the way we want it, we run to Jesus and ask Him for help. As if He's going to help us set up our little kingdom. Or we just see Jesus as a get-out-of-hell-free card. Phew, got that taken care of. Back to my own kingdom. The whole reason we need to be saved is because we're trying to play king. It's not so much the individual sins we've committed. It's the fact that we're in rebellion against the king of kings. As John Piper calls it, we've committed cosmic treason. We want to be sovereign. We get up each morning and we're immediately thinking about our own kingdom. Face it. You do it. I do it. I need to go to work and make money so I can buy things to set up my little kingdom the way I want it. I, I need to uh, replace my countertop with granite. Oh, wait. Granite's old. I need to replace it now with quartz. Or is that out too? I can't keep track. In our house, I just say, let's wait. Tile will be back in. <laughs> how much of your thoughts during the day are about your little kingdom 80% that might be low what I want to do where I want to go what my next move is if if you care about other people Often, we care about them in the sense that they're not performing in my kingdom the way that my subject should be. How can I get so-and-so to change, to submit to my way? Have you ever been driving and you're frustrated? And the thought is really that if everybody just had my brain there would be no traffic problems. And then you get home and take the same thought into your house. If everybody just thought the way I did, there would be peace in this house. And the church would run great, and the school would have no problems, and the government would be great. You're describing Jesus in Isaiah 9. 
And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. (laughs) You see what we do? We do understand kingdom. It's just we only understand our kingdom. And we begin to live life as if this is it, the here and now. And we have no idea that the real kingdom, the real kingdom is there. And the real king is there. And the reason you're upset with your life and other people is because you've got the wrong kingdom. And coming to Jesus isn't learning how to make your kingdom better. You want that? Go get a life coach. Go to a motivational speaker. Go read How to Win Friends and Influence People Again. Go to this help uh, help section at Barnes and Noble. Are there any more Barnes and Nobles? Did they all close down? When they when they existed, it was the largest section of the bookstore, which tells you where the most sales are. Personal improvement. Watch the view. Go watch Oprah. If that's what you want, you want your kingdom to be improved. There's plenty of people out there, if you pay them enough, will tell you. You want to know how to live in the real kingdom? Go to Jesus and he already paid your price so you could be in his kingdom. And then you say, teach me how to live in the real kingdom. That's what being a Christian is. He's Savior and Lord. It's a package deal. You don't get one without the other. Most people will take the Savior part and they could do without the Lord. The fact that you don't want Him as Lord is why you need a Savior. So what were they preaching then? They were preaching the kingdom, we see. They won't know about the resurrection until, well, the first time Jesus mentions it is when they get back from their preaching. That sermon's coming up, but we'll take a sneak peek. Luke 9.20. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Because lots of people, when they went out preaching, were saying, hey, this Jesus, we think he's John the Baptist come back from the dead. We think he's Elijah the prophet that the Old Testament said would come. We think he's one of the other prophets come back from the dead. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And he warns them not to tell anyone. Boy, we looked at that last week, right? What? Not to tell anyone. I thought that's what we're supposed to do. And he explains to them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Then you can proclaim the risen Christ to all the nations. That's the full gospel treatment. Kingdom and resurrection. Kingdom and resurrection. 
By the way, the disciples still didn't understand the full gospel until Jesus explained it to them after the resurrection. Remember, we read this last week, if you were here. They're at the empty tomb, and they're shocked and astonished. And the angels say, why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? I wonder if the angel said it with kind of a tone of like, dude, <laughs> remember. You know, we always kind of picture the angels as it's always the same glorious, hallelujah type voice. But maybe it was more natural. Like, don't you remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Don't you remember? And if you keep reading, they say, oh, that's right. He did say that, didn't he? And they go back and tell the twelve, well, the eleven, because Judas is gone. And they don't believe him. Because they don't remember either. Why? Because their mindset was so fixed on Jesus, the king of a geopolitical kingdom. We're going to Jerusalem. Triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. He's the king. He's going to amass his army. He's going to overthrow Rome. Who gets to sit on your left and on your right? That's what they were talking about the night before he died. He's teaching them about the, the Last Supper and how he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. They're wanting to know, yeah, but who sits on the left and the right? And Peter's drawing his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's ready for war. And Jesus says, put your sword away. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. He will return and set up a physical kingdom. We have him preaching that in the Olivet Discourse. We see it in the book of Revelation. That's all going to happen. But the spiritual kingdom is the phase we're in now. Word gets back to Herod, the Tetrarch, who calls himself the king of the Jews, what was happening, and he was greatly perplexed because it was said by some that John the Baptist had risen from the dead, and others said it's Elijah, and others say it's one of the prophets of old, and Herod said, well, I myself had John beheaded. If this guy's back from the dead, how does he have a head on him? That, that's the point. Who is this man? And I underline that because really that's the question everyone needs to ask. Who, who is this Jesus? What you do with that question determines everything. What you do with that question determines everything about your life. And I'm not just talking about in the salvific sense. Yes, it's the most important sense. But in the way you live your life, who is this Jesus? If he's just a good teacher, then you can 
take his advice and take it or leave it. The parts I like, I'll follow. The parts I don't, I'll go with my own opinions. But if he is king of kings, if he is God incarnate, if all the fullness of deity dwells in him, then his teachings aren't optional. They're commands. And because he died for you, you can be sure that they're not commands that will do you harm. Why would he die for you only to give you commands that would do you harm? He loves you. The happy life you're looking for is the kingdom life that Jesus is talking about. Not the kingdom life you've been trying to set up your whole life. What's that saying? We ask Jesus to bless our mess. No, he he died for your mess. And he is commanding us to replace the mess with his ways. He's the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. The twelve report back to Jesus. And it says, when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him. Notice he, Luke says the twelve. And then he says, when the apostles returned. That doesn't mean they became apostles when they came back. It's just those terms are interchangeable. These are the apostles. Paul says that Christ is the cornerstone of the church. And then the apostles' teaching is the foundation of the church. Well, why do they get to set the foundation? Because uh, Jesus picked them and he gave them authority over demons and illness and gave them authority to write scripture. That's why they get to set it up because the king designated them as the twelve, the apostles. At this point, he's getting ready to start the next phase of his ministry And word gets out that he's going to be leaving Galilee. And the crowds, it says in Luke 9-11, were aware of this and followed him. And he didn't turn them away. It says, welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Look, there's, there's that combination again. The next slide has all three of those lines in parallel. Luke 9.2, they proclaimed the kingdom and performed healing. Luke 9.11, Jesus spoke to them about the kingdom of God and cured them. You see, it's, it's in parallel. It's called an inclusio. Bookends. A sandwich. Bread, bread. What's in the middle? They preached the gospel and were healing everyone. So the gospel is certainly not less than the death and resurrection of Christ, but it's more than. It's more than. That's why Jesus said in the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, you don't baptize someone unless they've received Jesus as their Savior. And teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. That's the lordship part. That's the kingdom part.
heart. Lord and King are interchangeable. Maybe in modern vernacular, we can tell people he's the CEO. But you're not shareholders. He owns the company. He'll always own the company. He runs it. It's his ship. You might think of some other analogies, but they all fall short because really king is the one that fits. He's not the president who can be thrown out of office. We don't want to call him a dictator. He's a benevolent, gracious king. But a king nonetheless. So then, what did they preach when they preached the kingdom? We don't have an example of the sermons that the twelve preached. Oh, wow, I I wish we had an example. We get examples of what they preached after Jesus' death and resurrection. You You have Peter's great sermon on Solomon's porch. You have Stephen's sermon that got him killed. Um, must have been a winner, right? But he got a reaction, that's for sure. This Jesus, whom you killed, is Lord. Uh, we have lots of examples of Paul's sermons. But no examples of their sermons before which frustrated me as I was prepping because I wanted to, to tell you absolutely this is what they were preaching. But then it gave me great comfort because I thought about all the sermons I preached before I went to seminary. And I'm glad there's no record of them. They were horrible sermons. I mean, they weren't just bad, like, illustrations. They were theologically wrong a lot of the time. But I was told... You have this special anointing. You can just get in the pulpit and say whatever. I know better now. Praise God for his grace. Every Sunday after I preach, Dave Gillette comes up and he says, you can't improve on perfection. And I I know he's not talking about me. He's saying... Why would you preach anyone else but Jesus Christ and his message? So that's his way of reminding me to stay on the right topic. I always make sure I say, I know you're not talking about me, Dave, just 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 in case. Um. In fact, probably this, this uh, preaching, the apostles would probably look back and say, oh, that was not our finest hour. So why would Jesus allow them to go out and proclaim the kingdom? Because the message was correct. Jesus is king. Prepare a way for the king. Bow to the king. Listen to the king. Even if their motivation was wrong, misplaced, and and were his right hand men. 
I don't know if they were preaching the kingdom for God's glory or if it was, we're going to be part of the in crowd. We're going to be in the inner circle. We know they had a lot to learn about humility and about their own weakness and pride. We see other places in the Bible where God allows the correct message to be preached even if the messengers weren't the best messengers. And the disciples said, you know, should we stop them? And Jesus said, no, go ahead and let them. Same thing with Paul. You see Paul doing the same thing. Hey, these other people are preaching. Hey, if they preach Christ... Go ahead and let them. Yeah, but they said you're not a real apostle and they're better than you. What am I going to do about that? If they're preaching Christ, let them, let them preach. So they were preaching the correct message, which if we start piecing together what they heard Jesus teach, and I encourage you this week to go back through Luke, where we are up to now, and see what Jesus has taught, especially the Sermon on the Mount, or we called it the Sermon on the Plain, but you can also go to Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and read the Sermon on the Mount, and you get an idea of that's what the disciples must have been proclaiming, because that's what they heard Jesus teaching. And when you read through those, you start picking up on some themes that are very different than your kingdom and my kingdom. In the real kingdom, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed really are people who are humble and recognize their own spiritual poverty. Blessed are people who have a low view of themselves. The right kind of low view, not the I don't have enough self-esteem, low view. You understand people who have low self-esteem actually esteem themselves really high and they're really upset that they're not as gifted as they think they should be? H having low self-esteem is, is a good thing. We're supposed to esteem ourselves low. Jesus said those who esteem themselves low, he will exalt he says, you should sit at the foot of the table and have the king say, hey, friend, why don't you come up to the front? Not like James and John. Hey, we belong on the left and the right. My counseling professor calls self-esteem, selfish steam. Selfish steam. It's the steam that makes your selfish train move down the wrong track. People who aren't happy with God because they're not as talented as they think they should be. They're not as recognized as they think they should be. They're not as popular as they think they should be. Their life isn't turning out the way they think they deserve for it to turn out. Those people are never happy and have nothing to be thankful for. But when you realize that because of our sin nature, we deserve life for to come in way down here, 
and it's really coming in way up here. The farther that gap gets, the more reason you have to praise God and be thankful for His grace. The right kind of self-esteem is, I'm a child of God. I have no idea why He'd want me to be His child, but I am. That is amazing. That is wonderful. If God is for me, who can be against me? That's the right kind of confidence. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the right kind of self-esteem. God has gifted me in certain ways to bring glory to his name. So I'm going to use the giftedness he gave me and not worry that I don't have the giftedness of anybody who was on this stage today playing instruments. Not my gift. I wish I could do it. Just can't do it. And maybe they wish they could preach. Be happy with the gift God's given you. And everybody who has the Holy Spirit can make disciples. It's not just the the pastors that you pay. Everybody can make disciples. Everybody can proclaim the kingdom. Everybody is gifted in that way. Everybody has something that you can share with people who don't understand the kingdom very well. In God's kingdom, which is so much different than our little kingdoms, he says, love your enemies. That does not come natural for any of us. I, at best, on a human level, avoid my enemies. And I see that as virtue. He says, love your enemies. At worst, I seek revenge. At best, I just avoid. And he's not talking about ISIS. He's talking about people in your own community. In our little kingdom, our children, our spouse, our co-workers, our people we're supposed to love can become our enemies so fast. In our little kingdom. Because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. In God's kingdom, he says, be merciful for your Father in heaven has been merciful to you. In God's kingdom, he says, get the log out of your own eye so you can see clearly the speck in your brother's eye. I think it's virtuous in my own strength to just not point out anybody's And that's like being loving. Until they leave and I'm with some other people. (laughs) Have you ever noticed so-and-so's specs? Right? We make a pastime out of critiquing and judging just about everything. You're going to go home to lunch or whatever, and you're going to critique the sermon. I'm fine with that. As long as you're talking about the substance of the sermon. You're going to critique the music. How was worship today? I don't really, you know. You're going to critique the new projectors. You're going to, it's what we do. We can't help it. And Jesus says, look, use that that I've got given to you, the power to observe and to use critical thinking skills in a way that's glorifying to God. Get the log out of your own eye 
so you can help your brother see his blind spots. But guess what? First, you have to find out where your blind spots are. And you can't see your own blind spots because they're blind spots. If you could see them, they wouldn't be blind spots. And you certainly aren't going to see them with a telephone pole sticking out of your eye. That's that word log. It's a great picture. Then when you're humble, you can go to your brother in the kingdom and say, Hey, I don't know if you knew this about yourself, but you have this thing that you do, and it's kind of disrupting all of your relationships. It's sabotaging all of your relationships. And you think the world's out to get you. That's not what's really happening. You keep doing the same thing over and over to people, and that's, that's what's going on in your little kingdom. That takes a lot of humility and a lot of grace and a lot of love, and it doesn't come natural. But if we're all interested in God's kingdom, then we can all do that together because we're all in the same boat. We're all needing to repent from setting up our own little kingdoms. That's what small groups are about. Life on life, discipleship and sanctification. Doesn't happen well during the meet and greet. I don't care how much time I give you. If you're using the meet and greet to take the speck out of your brother's eye, we need to talk. That is the wrong place for that to happen. You need to build relationships with people. That takes time. It takes time to see patterns of behavior. It takes time to earn that trust to be able to say, hey, I've been real open about my shortcomings. I love you. Can, can I help you see something about yourself maybe you don't see? That's a whole different kingdom than the one we're all living in. I mean, you don't get up in the morning thinking, you know what I need today? I need a lot of people to tell me where I need to change. That is not your first thought in the morning. Your first thought is, I sure hope everything that I like lines up for me all day long. I hope my favorite coffee and my favorite creamer are still in the house. Because I'm going to be really upset if I start my day without without that. And you don't have that, and you go, and it, how many times have you said this? And it all just went downhill from there. How could life in God's kingdom ever go downhill? Your perspective is wrong. That's the problem. My perspective's wrong. So, the kingdom then is that God is the real king. The spiritual kingdom's the real kingdom. It's near, so you need to repent. Repentance means to change your mind. Change my mind about what? About everything that you thought is the way the kingdom is supposed to be. That's going to take humility. And of course, the true king then is Jesus. That's what they must have been proclaiming. We know they were proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's near. Repent. Jesus is the king. That's, that's the message. The rest of the message then is, and because we're in rebellion, Jesus died for us, took the penalty on himself on the cross, rose again on the third day to prove 
that he is the king, that he's God. And when you receive him, he comes to dwell in you in the person of the Holy Spirit and gives you the power to start living in the kingdom the right way. People come to me for discipleship and they say, I want to make changes, I want to do better. And I have to make sure that what they're saying isn't, I just want to be a better version of me. I want to be a better king in my kingdom. That's not what Jesus came to do. I'm not going to give you 12 steps to a better whatever. You need to wrap your mind around, it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. I need to die to the way I see the world and the way I think about things and the way I solve problems. And I need to do it the way the king does it. But I can't do it without him doing it in and through me. So to come full circle, certainly the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross and was raised the third day. But if you leave out the kingdom, you have not preached the gospel. And if you leave out that part of it, you're never going to grow in Christ. You're just going to be a slightly more cleaned up little king of your own kingdom. And... In that moment when it's too hard to do the right thing, you'll abandon Jesus' kingdom and go right back to your own kingdom. Because I'm the king. I have the right. I hope you really grabbed hold of it. It was a real eye-opener for me this week as I was preparing. They preach the gospel. What gospel? They didn't even know he was going to die yet. I think... Every morning when I think about the gospel, I'm missing a big piece. And I share that with you this morning. Father, you are our king, Jesus. Sit on the throne of our hearts where you rightfully belong. Lead us and direct us and empower us and strengthen us. We know you love us because you died for us. May that Give us the motivation and courage to be honest about our sins. That we would repent from trying to be our own kings. Live life in the real kingdom and be ready to help others do the same. In your name I pray, King Jesus. Amen. Amen.